Hey everyone, welcome back to PhD Plus Podcast. Today I have a lovely guest with me. She is a PhD student at UTS with me as well. And um, today we're going to talk about navigating PhD life during the COVID-19 pandemic. And I've got Alana West with me today. She's going to speak about her own experience of navigating, especially the start of the shutdowns and lockdowns in Australia. Welcome to the podcast, Alana. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you for agreeing to this interview. So before we delve into the topic, Alana, could you tell us in one or two sentences what your research is about? Yeah. um, So I'm, I guess, an environmental sociologist. So I'm doing a comparison of kind of large-scale corporate renewable energy projects and um, smaller scale community renewable energy projects in rural and regional New South Wales and doing a comparison of the kind of social and environmental impacts um, of those projects through a feminist lens. Okay, you have have to tell us more. You have to share share more. Feminist lens, can you expand that a bit? Yeah, definitely. So um, there's, I'm drawing on a lot of Marxist and eco-feminist theory, which looks at the lived experiences of women, particularly through the kind of work that is feminized. So thinking like care work, community work, that kind of thing, um, and how those experiences impact how people work on certain projects. And so, yeah, I guess I kind of noticed through being involved in the climate movement here in Australia that there's a really like quite a gendered space and energy in particular was really gendered. And then I started noticing that with renewable energy projects that there were, you know, heaps of women that were involved in community energy projects, which have a really different aim and relationship with people and also with the environment than say your large scale corporate renewable energy projects which similar to the fossil fuel industry is actually quite male dominated. And so I just thought that was interesting. I wanted to kind of explore that in a bit more detail and, and, and try to get to the bottom of like why that might be and whether it was gender that was part of what was making those projects different. And what stage of your research are you in right now? I've kind of just started stage three. So at UTS, that's I've done the majority of my data collection and am now moving into more of the writing phase. Yeah, and maybe we can talk about this in a little bit more detail. But when I say I've done the majority of my data collection, COVID-19 has kind of had, uh, shifted what, what data I can get for the remainder of my data collection that I actually need to do is probably going to change quite significantly. Yeah, so we can talk about that in a bit more detail. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We definitely need to talk about that more. So share with us, Alana, how did you navigate being a PhD student before the the lockdown and self-isolation started? Yeah, so I guess I had about two years of being a PhD student prior to to COVID. And I think that I I didn't necessarily have a, a routine as such, but I would generally work from home one or two days a week and then go into work from UCS three or four days a week. And that was... It was a good amount of flexibility. It meant that I could go in, you know, do my printing at UTS, get all the books from the library, hang out with other PhD students, um, and, you know, just generally access all of the equipment and kind of community and stuff that, that is on campus. And then, yeah, spend a couple of days at home predominantly, days when I was doing writing. Um, I found it a bit easier to do that from home, actually. I think that definitely... Before the lockdown, I was more engaged with joining in on, you know, like we have 
fortnightly catch-ups within our faculty, which I, you know, used to go to quite regularly and doing some of the optional professional development courses, that kind of thing. I used to be just a bit more on top of what was what was available and what was happening, which, yeah, I think has changed a fair bit in the last few months. And also, I guess, like, used to have, like, monthly meetings with my supervisors face-to-face. And I'm my, yeah, my PhD is part of a research centre at UTS, part of the Climate Justice Research Centre, which is in the Faculty of Arts and Social Science. You know, we used to have a a monthly reading group and go on field trips, um, like research trips and stuff as as a kind of research group, which... Yeah, a lot of that is, has been put on hold somewhat indefinitely. And, yeah, as part of our research centre, we also have quite a lot of uh, our PhD students are international students. Um, so we do a lot of comparative research between India and Australia and energy mm-hmm. projects. And so just the ability for some of those international students who are we're working with, you know, some of them are in India, unable to come to come back, back. Oh, wow. um, and some are here unable to go back over to India to do their field work. So a lot of people yeah. in um, <laughs> in some pretty weird mm-hmm. weird spaces with their research um, yeah, that's within tough. that centre. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very curious, <laughs> at what points did you realise there was a massive interruption coming? Mm-hmm. So I remember in... Uh, so in mid-February, we were doing our stage two presentations. I mean, yeah, there's a few other women who are doing their PhD and we kind of started it in the same cohort. And so we often go into uni on the same day and write together and things like that. And we, yeah, we were, you know, meeting up pretty regularly to, to do writing um, and research at uni. And I just remember myself and one of those women in particular kept watching the news and listening to the news and amping each other up about it and being like, oh, my God, is this happening? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, just really stressing ourselves out, talking about it with each other constantly. And we were both also waiting on teaching contracts to come okay. through. And we're hearing all of these whispers at UTS, you know, teaching semester kind of starts mid-March, early March. Mm-hmm. And normally you get your contract, you know, a month or so in advance. We're getting to the point where it's like two weeks, one week out from from semester starting and nobody's got their contracts and we're all like, um, yeah. <laughs> like are, I, we, I, are we not going to get? <laughs> like, I experienced the same. I was really concerned what's going on. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, I've, I've been teaching at UTS for, like, two years, and, and so I knew that it was different, right? Like, they're not getting contracts up to that very late point. So, yeah, it was, like, quite concerning. And then not necessarily related to the PhD necessarily, but my partner and I had planned a trip to Europe for the end of May, which is going to be my first ever trip to Europe and his first overseas trip for 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> And then we like Ouch. get this, yeah. <laughs> and so you know, get this email, kind of like the start of March, being like, "Oh, your flight to Rome has been cancelled." And I'm like, "Ouch." Yep. Okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound good. <laughs> yeah. So it was definitely like this. I feel like there was this two week period from like end of Feb to start of March where it was just like like building every day where I was like what is happening and you know yeah really uncertain and like information was coming at us quite quickly but also quite vaguely and so nobody really really knew what was happening and then yeah maybe like a similar thing (laughs) happened to you but I actually got to the stage where I was teaching my first class face to face on the Monday which was a class that was from 4 to 6 p.m. 
and at 10 past five or something, we all got a text being like, oh, UTS classes are moving online. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. You know what? You were lucky that you had that one face-to-face oh. class. I was supposed to have my class the following day, Tuesday. Yeah. That didn't happen. So no. for all of the autumn semester, I didn't have any face-to-face interaction in person with my students. That was no fun. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, so it was good I had at least one class. Yes. Where I got to meet them face-to-face. But then, yeah, it was just very funny getting that text while we were teaching. And I was <laughs> just like, yeah, well, probably a good call. But I feel like we could have made this call like a week ago and not had to have been quite so rushed about it. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, yeah, that I guess that moment where getting that text, it was just like, okay, well, I guess everything's going to be working from home from now on. At the time that this happened, what was at the fore of your mind? What were you most concerned about? I guess up until the point that I got my contract, the biggest concern was how I was going to be able to financially manage if those teaching contracts didn't come through. Mm -hmm. Um, That was... I think that that financial concern, because, you know, I do have a scholarship for my PhD studies, but it's $1,000 a fortnight and my rent is $650 a fortnight. So, you know, after rent, it's like there's not very much of that left. So I do need... I do need supplementary income to be able to, you know, live in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, <laughs> up until those contracts came through, that was definitely the financial concern. And then I guess I was also just concerned that even though I had that teaching contract that, you know, because there was the move online that, you know, because every all of the information we were getting was so vague that maybe at some point classes would have been cancelled outright and the, camp, the mm-hmm. contracts would have been void or things like that so that was a concern for probably like honestly like even the first like four or five weeks of semester um i was pretty stressed about that being a possibility which you know thankfully it didn't eventuate Mm -hmm. and then yeah i think for a position that a lot of um you know a lot of researchers kind of across the spectrum but i think me in particular um my research is qualitative research and the kind of method that i'm using is multi-sided ethnography which is where i go to a bunch of different communities where renewable energy projects are either being discussed or already in the works spend like a week there shadow do participant observation go to meetings go to the sites spend time with like community groups and project managers and things like that as well as doing interviews and I already hadn't been able to do much of that in the preceding few months because uh, my two main research locations are both in New South Wales and they were both two areas that had been really impacted by the bushfires that were happening in Australia Mm -hmm. over summer and so I basically hadn't been able to do any of my data collection since October in 2019 and my plan was to yeah because both of those both those regions not only were they impacted by the fires but then my research participants were also dealing with the like the follow-up and the cleanup from all of that and so they weren't particularly in the headspace to Mm -hmm. you know want me to come and, and yeah. hang out with them for a week yeah. doing research yeah so the plan was to go back yeah i guess how my how my multi-sided ethnography is working is that i went into those communities a few times and yet yeah, collected my data and then did my um did some initial data analysis and then was able to see kind of what gaps i had or what it'd be interesting to see changed over time as the project progressed and things like that and the plan was to go and do that kind of final follow-up visit mm-hmm. to all of those places kind of across March to July this year. Um, So that was obviously ended. (laughs) Like that just didn't happen. (laughs) 
and like thankfully it's been pushed back now but my um you know my ethics approval yeah I was basically approved to be doing the kind of face-to-face qualitative data collection yeah up until September this year okay so luckily thankfully I've I've pushed that back by six months. But, yeah, it is it is definitely looking like I'm not going to be able to do the in-person ethnographic follow-up. It's probably going to end up looking like doing follow-up Zoom interviews or emailing listed questions and getting my research participants to write back, which it's, like, it's fine, but there's going to be heaps of stuff that I miss. A lot of what ethnography is about is kind of observing interactions yeah. and, and, and things that, that, yeah, that yeah. you can't. You really can't get from yeah. from a written questionnaire or from a like a one-on-one Zoom meeting. So that's a pretty like massive change for me. You know, I'm actually really thankful that I at least got to do the, a pretty big chunk of that qualitative research. Like I can't even imagine what you know students who were about to start doing their data collection and now are you know probably having to totally redo their research plans and what that what that might look like. Because at least I already have the contacts now. I started with purposeful sampling, but then from there kind of like that snowball sampling where you meet one person and then they say oh you should speak to so and so and speak to so and so and and you're at a meeting and you just randomly meet people or you hear them speak and you're like oh that'd be a really good person to talk to so a lot of my really good interviews and really good contacts came out of being on the ground and so I think that's going to be really hard for some students finding their research participants Mm -hmm. um yeah Yeah, absolutely yeah without being able to be there on the ground absolutely yeah Yeah. It, it was the same with me with my data collection it was, I actually tried to make contact because I had to go overseas to collect my data. Mm. And I tried to make contact whilst in Australia. No one was responding to me. Yeah. <laughs> it took getting on the ground to even find sort of a gatekeeper who mm. was then able to introduce me to other people and then it snowballed from there. So I completely get that if people have to be on especially if you're doing qualitative research, mm. it's going to be a lot tougher. You're going to have yep. a lot more changes than someone who is doing quantitative that can just send out a questionnaire via email or social media and mm. they get all the responses they need. Yeah. And so that's the thing, like I I um even might still have to go back and, and edit my my ethics application mm-hmm. and, and potentially look at bringing in some more probably like more qualitative but but that kind of more survey type of data collection, which wasn't something that was really initially in my plan. Yeah, it's just kinda of hard to know whether that'll be necessary. And you know, it's like I'm obviously gonna have to write up this massive <laughs> change to my yes. to my methodology mm-hmm. in my methodology section. You know, I think that most academics are probably experiencing impacts from COVID to some extent, but you know, it's really going to depend on who your, yeah, who your marker is as to whether they're going to be like understanding that the, the data collection was incomplete for a very good reason, yeah. but it's still incomplete. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that every examiner, every supervisor mm. is taking into account that COVID-19 has brought a lot of changes to the ways of doing things and PhD students have to adapt to those changes. Their research mm. have to adapt to the changes. You don't have a choice, okay? Yeah. You can't force yourself to, <laughs> you can't force the restrictions to be changed just because you're doing research, hey? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not an extenuating circumstance. <laughs> During the fireside chat a few weeks ago, I remember mm-hmm. there was this sort of a poll put out there asking people what their concentration level, you know, how productive mm-hmm. they are or they had been because of COVID-19 restrictions. 
And I, I found your response very, very intriguing. Can you share more about that? Yeah. Yeah. I guess like I've struggled for quite some time with generalized anxiety disorder, which, you know, wasn't too much of a problem when I was doing like my undergrad and my honors, but definitely has varying times throughout my PhD, like, yeah, really impacted on my ability to do the work, particularly writing can be like quite difficult to get that concentration or the, even just like the motivation to get started. And you know, I registered with accessibility at UTS and, you know, have some things in place that that's able to to help me with that but yeah it was probably during March I realized that even though you know I kind of had everything set up to work from home that the the kind of barrage of of news and and information that we were getting about about COVID and the kind of uncertainty about how it was going to impact Australia specifically but even like the world more broadly and then down to even more specifically like how it was going to impact me and my family and you know I have uh, elderly grandparents and they be okay and, and things like that and so we'd been working from home for about two weeks and I was just like I've done literally nothing on my PhD <laughs> like we'd sit down to do stuff and just be like what's the point like academia as a industry is imploding what's the point of even doing this research is it even important given the current context so just like a whole bunch of different things were kind of weighing on my mind and 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 making it virtually impossible for me to to concentrate and to get any work done particularly I mean I'm sure it's impacted everybody at every stage but um, because I wasn't able to do data collection my supervisors were like well how about you you know concentrate on writing for, for this period you know and I think I've heard a few other people say this, um, things like, oh, it's actually the perfect time for PhD students to be writing. You're stuck at home with nothing else to do. So the perfect space. And I'm like, <laughs> no, it's not. A global pandemic is not a perfect time no, for like not. good productivity. No, it's not. <laughs> And so I actually ended up taking the month of April off um, from my PhD completely. I took medical leave, which, you know, it's good that that was something that was available to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, as happens often with uni bureaucracy, it was actually a bit of a nightmare trying to get the leave approved. I basically took the entire month of April off and the leave wasn't officially approved until like the 14th or the 15th of April or something. So my leave, my stress leave was actually quite stressful for the first two weeks. And then I ended up coming back from medical leave in May. And I think things had kind of, I guess, like settled into more of a routine by then and we weren't getting quite so much news bombarded every day and it felt like things were in a bit more of a routine even if it was still very weird and outside of the the ordinary but yeah I still wasn't and still don't think that I am um even now at peak productivity or however you want to term it and it's just because as well as all of these concerns about how my research is going to be impacted by this like financial concerns there's also just like the broader concerns around my health my family's health i didn't get covid or i haven't got covid yet but my health has been pretty significantly impacted by the pandemic and Mm -hmm. yeah my older sister has autoimmune disease um so does her partner they have a one-year-old kid so i ended up going and staying with them for a few weeks to help out just because they were both getting pretty exhausted with caring for a one-year-old full-time and also both being quite sick um and so i went up to help with that and you know it's just things like that with i guess like your priority shifts and and that ability to to find the space to sit down at your desk and write for two or three hours every day it's quite difficult during a pandemic to get into that headspace and i think that you know 
thankfully like my supervisors are, are really understanding and like quite supportive of me and like taking that time off and things like that but um yeah I've had some pretty some pretty like unrealistic comments from other supervisors or other academics about what PhD students should be doing at this time and I think that there's yeah, maybe like a, a lack of understanding of the huge amount of different worries that are weighing on PhD students. Yeah. Um, kind of always, <laughs> but now more so during, mm-hmm. during a pandemic. Right, um, right. And the kind of impact that has on people's concentration and yeah. ability to, to do the work is, yeah. yeah, it's not something to dismiss, yeah. which I think happens in academia a fair bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've heard people say, you know, at this point, they're even questioning the value of the research they're doing mm. in light of the current situation around the world. What's the point of me doing this PhD? Yeah, <laughs> totally. And I've definitely, real. yeah, I've had those thoughts. What is the point? Like, thankfully for me, I, you know, I already had thoughts that I would try to find work outside of academia when I finish my PhD. But for a lot of people who start a PhD with the dream and the goal of going into academia, seeing the kind of entire industry here in Australia, but also globally, essentially crash and burn, it's been so demoralising. Yeah, yeah, like the, that kind of future, um, like what future is, is going to be possible for PhD students. But on the other hand, I'm also quite thankful that I, at least my scholarship lasts until about March next year. So, you know, that is that is a relatively steady income that I'm going to have for just under a year. And for a lot of people, lost their jobs and been moved on to job keeper or job seeker or whatever it is. Like, they don't have even that level of security of, of knowing that at least some income is going to be coming in. And I think for, for international students, that's even worse because they uh, have the luxury of job keeper or job seeker. So yep. it's all you have to work to be able to pay your bills. That puts on another level of pressure mm. on top of whatever else is uh, is going on with them. Yeah, big time. And like the, I think some universities are, are helping where they can, but international students have definitely been totally left in the dark by the Australian government. Um, absolutely, yes. Yeah, and it's like you know, absolutely. we'll willingly take your money, but um, <laughs> sorry, you're out on your own. Think oh. for yourself. From what you've said so far, I've gathered that you had quite a lot of support from your supervisors. You got some support from the university as well. Um, mm-hmm. The support from the university, I know you you had medical leave, but did you get any sort of counselling? Did that help you at this time? Was that something that you looked to? Yeah, UTS actually has pretty good counselling service. I've accessed them a couple of times. Just um, I have my own psychologist that I see, but when I've had breaks or when that person hasn't had any appointments, I've I have spoken to the UTS counsellors, um, and I did speak to them in order to access the medical leave. Um, right. They helped me. They helped me with that. And I just think it's it's actually like a really great service, and it's it's free for for students. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which again very helpful, particularly <laughs> for yeah. PhD students when we often on pretty tight tight budgets yeah it's just like good to have two factors like somebody to talk to and to kind of validate the experience of Mm -hmm. of um like how debilitating anxiety and stress can be and then also that more practical bureaucratic element where they were actually quite helpful in um getting that medical leave approved Mm. which yeah again i was able to have some documentation from my own medical team but i think speaking to the uts counselor and and looping in my accessibility representative from UTS 
guess, kind of helped to push the process along a little bit faster, possibly, just because they were able to speak between departments. Although, you know, I don't know if you've experienced different departments at UTS having to speak to each other, but apparently it's like <laughs> no, the hardest thing in the world. <laughs> yeah. You would have thought that they'd never had to speak to each other about anything ever. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's, you, you bring on something that is so important and something that I wish that I had taken more advantage of, and that's the UTS counseling services. In the past week or so, I've looked back at some of the things, some of my lived experiences during my PhD, and I remember just thinking, you know, Chichi, it would have been good to get some counseling when you were going through that. I think that would have really helped. But at the time, I was just so engrossed in my own pain and my own fears and insecurities. Mm. And it's funny because sometimes I was talking to undergrad students that was teaching and saying, hey, if you have X, Y, Z type of challenges, it's worth, you know, directing them to the counseling services, <laughs> but never, never taking advantage of it yeah. <laughs> for myself. And I think that I did myself a disservice. I think that if your institution and a lot of the institutions, especially in Western countries, I mean, I come from a non-Western country and in university, we never have counselors that I know of. Okay. But in Australia, for example, that is taken very seriously. It's um, in heavily invested in by universities. So I would advise anyone, especially PhD students, like you mentioned, Alana, I would advise anyone who is going through any bits of challenge, it doesn't matter how little it is, don't underplay it. Definitely seek counseling because that does help a great deal. Yeah. And I mean, it's not even just during this COVID time, right? Like I, yeah, I've spoken to them um, at other times, you know, when there were other stresses or, or other worries kind of going on. Um, and I know some other students at UTS who have found the counselling service really helpful for kind of talking through uh, issues with supervisors and, mm. yeah, like worries about, about research more broadly. Just having somebody to talk to who's not there to give you feedback on your research, but yeah. who's there to kind of hold space for the often quite big emotional burden that is yeah. taking on a PhD. That's right. And, you know, there's also, they're quite helpful in pointing you in directions for other services that are available mm-hmm. at the university. So I spoke to a counsellor and then they suggested that I register with accessibility and then through registering with accessibility, you get access to X, Y, Z, like these mm-hmm. other things. They can help services, you. Yeah. yeah, and they can help you if you have social anxiety they can help negotiate for you to do your presentations just to your supervisor or if you need access to your own office or something rather than being in the the big PhD space yeah yeah like things like that that they can help you with and often throughout the year other kind of like one-off opportunities might like pop up and be like hey if you're registered with accessibility there's this workshop that's available for students that are dealing with anxiety whatever it is yeah and so just just knowing that that's there is really helpful. Like I, when I was doing my undergrad, didn't access any of these services, which they're for students and, you know, most of the time are free um, and really helpful. Yeah. I'm just really grateful that during my PhD, I've been like, no, I should access these these services that are there and that they're there for a reason. And and actually, yeah. Yeah. And I also think it's good having the counseling service with, counsellors who are you know like specifically in an education setting and so they're yeah I guess like more able to think through or talk through academic pressures than maybe other psychologists outside of the university space 
yeah. might be able to. Yeah, that's pretty good. I'm glad yeah. that you did bring that up because it's something that PhD students should definitely take advantage of. And students in general, really, yeah. <laughs> to take advantage of those services because you are paying for them when you pay your student services and amenities fees. That's right. <laughs> you pay for those services. So you might as well get your money's worth, hey? Yeah. <laughs> Where are you now with your research and mm-hmm. just in general? We're still living through COVID-19. Where are you now? I think that I, um, in general, um, like a lot of other people, uh, got a bit complacent um, in the last month or so around restrictions were starting to be lifted and cafes and pubs and stuff were starting to open up. But uh, with the numbers in Victoria going up and now in New South Wales, we're starting to get some more cases going up as well. And so it's definitely looking like we're about to have a second wave here, which, I don't know, it feels different this time. I feel less stressed about it, which maybe it's not necessarily less stressed, but more apathetic or more resigned to... (laughs) Ouch. Yeah. More like resigned to the great boredom that will impact all of us for the next few months if we're going back into lockdown. Yeah. Or maybe you're just more prepared mentally as well because you've yeah. through that first wave. So you kind of know, know what to expect this time around. Yeah. And in terms of like being set up, my partner and I actually moved house about a month ago because we were in a, an apartment just with the two of us. But then when we both had to start working from home, uh, it was just so cramped. I was teaching and writing out of our bedroom and you know, not great for your mental health to sleep and work in the same room. So we, we moved and found a, a place that was a bit bigger and had enough space for both of us to set up like a little office space because both of us are going to be working from home indefinitely this coming semester uh, i'm teaching online again because thankfully like the subjects i'm teaching this semester don't need any equipment they're not like science labs and it's a comm subject but they don't need any of the media labs or any of the media equipment so we're able to teach that one online and then our the last i heard our phd space isn't opening again until the end of october or something and that might change if you know if we do have a second wave that'll get pushed back even more yeah yeah, so I do feel like in terms of like equipment and space and stuff a bit a bit better. Um yeah, I have more of like a dedicated space and so that that'll probably really help if we do go into a lockdown. In terms of like where I'm at with my PhD, I'm still struggling a fair bit to concentrate and so I'm trying to do writing at the moment. I just have writing due to my supervisors on the last day of every month. Um, it's kind of like a, a regular deadline. I'll send them something and they'll send me feedback and they're like, can you just keep working on that chapter that you sent us last time? And I'm like, no, bored with that. Sorry. <laughs> like, I can't. I'm like, oh no, I started writing something else. Like, I can't. I'm still quite flighty. Like I'm still finding it difficult to just like stick with the one chapter or something. Like I'm like, no, I'm going to potter over here and do this, <laughs> do this little bit over here, which I think they're finding a little bit frustrating. But <laughs> I'm also like, that's as good as it's going to get at the moment. And so it'll be interesting to see. This happened to me actually last year as well, where I had this downturn. I did heaps of writing for the first like January, February, and then had this real dip from like March to July and then kind of smashed it out in the second half of the year, which looks like is what's going to have to happen. <laughs> <laughs> this year <laughs> so i'm like thinking towards you know we have our annual review of progress will be in november mm-hmm. i'm like mm, yes i'm definitely going to do like a lot more writing before yeah. <laughs> before november um 
and kind of how I pull that off will be, yeah, pretty different, I guess, to previous big chunks of writing like it used to be. When I knew that I had a writing deadline or had like a big writing task, I'd, yeah, I'd quite often go into uni with one or two friends who were also writing at that time. And, you know, we'd go in early together and, and have lunch together and, like, whinge about writing and, and, and deadlines together. And, you know, if we go back into, like, a full-on lockdown, that'll be quite difficult. And I haven't done any of those. I know that some students have been doing digital writing days together, which I haven't done. So that might be something that would be useful to look into if we do go into a second lockdown, just to get that sense of community and, yeah. and break the isolation a bit. And then I still, once I've done a bit more writing and once we know what the situation with COVID is going to be, I'll need to make a final decision about how I finish the data collection. Because, yeah, still kind of holding out for the possibility that I could do face-to-face data collection towards the end of the year. But if that's not going to be possible, then I'll have to do it digitally because maybe I'll get the six-month scholarship extension. But if I don't, then I'm really only going to be able to be doing PhD full-time up until March next year. So definitely need to get the data collection out of the way i'm hoping that i get the extension because you can ask for the extension if mm-hmm. something's happened with your research outside of your control and i feel like <laughs> not being able to do any research since october <laughs> because of bushfires and yeah. then because of covid oh, surely that's, that's a good enough reason that's massive <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah yes, so 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 you definitely see this affecting your PhD timeline, don't you? Oh, yeah, big time. Mm. Yeah. And it's also just, like, life-wise affected so many things. I had things very, like, neatly planned. Like, like we're gonna... a trip to Europe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> going to have our trip to Europe. And then I was going to do as much of my PhD data collection as possible. And then I have to have this jaw surgery at some point. And then I was going to have my jaw surgery. And then I was going to get pregnant so that I was able to submit my PhD and then (laughs) have a kid. And now I'm just like, well, now all of that's just out the window. (laughs) Who knows? You need to go back back to the drawing board and look at that plan again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it's all just totally, totally out the window and who knows. But yeah, definitely my PhD, the timeline is, yeah, like I've had to extend my ethics timeline and my data collection timeline. And in terms of writing, there's absolutely no way I'm going to be finished by March next year, which is when my scholarship's meant to end. And I, I probably would have been able to come pretty close to that three-year mark had COVID not happened. Mm-hmm. Definitely thinking that it's going to be the, the three-and-a-half mark rather than the three. Yeah. And here, I assume... Here's <laughs> hoping you get the extension when the yeah. comes. <laughs> Surely. Surely. <laughs> I've got one final question. Mm-hmm. I am so certain that there are so many PhD students out there who are in the same shoes as you are and are going through the same crisis that you are. What advice do you have for them for productivity and just how to handle life in general right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure that there are so many, so many students who who are feeling like, really stressed or anxious or, um, you know, just having their research like pretty significantly changed as a result of COVID. And yeah, I mean, like the first thing is what we've kind of already talked about is looking to what services are available at your university because there's actually often quite a lot and maybe you don't know about all of them or maybe you haven't had to access them before. But yeah, there's usually some really, really good resources and like people that you can talk to. I think obviously it's like different for everybody what kind of relationship they have with their supervisors, but 
just if you can, if you have that kind of relationship, just tell them that that you're struggling because chances are they are as well. And it's better to, yeah, I think anyway that it's better to kind of like be upfront and be like, hey, like I'm I'm actually really struggling at the moment, finding it quite difficult to concentrate on my work and and to write or research or whatever it is that you're working on to my normal ability. And that way they just know they might not even know ways to help you. They might, but then when you inevitably submit writing late or <laughs> submit not very good writing, you've kind of like pre-warned them and they're probably going to be more understanding yeah. and more sympathetic if they're aware that there's stuff going on. Also, some supervisors are really, really great and they can, you know, you kind of kind of be like, hey, I'm struggling at the moment and they can help you with, I guess, like, helping you figure out what would be possible with the kind of headspace that you're in. Right. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily just have to be supervisors that do that, right? Do you have other academics within, like, your faculty that you've gelled with really well before any other mentory type people that you could talk to about how you're struggling? And, you know, a lot of... A lot of academics actually have lived experience with with mental health problems. And so quite often, you know, you can get some really great ideas on how to, like, A, be kind to yourself, but B, you know, still feel like you're getting some work done. Yeah, and I mean, take time off if you need it. I know that's not necessarily possible for everyone, but if you're on a scholarship, you can get up to 12 weeks extra paid medical leave throughout the time of your scholarship. So you can access that medical leave and if you need documentation for it. And so, you know, that's the kind of thing where you could go to the free counsellor and they could help you with that referral. So, you know, that's stuff that's that can be really helpful, just like recognising that you need to take that time, take that space. And then I guess like one last thing that's been really helpful for me is just, you know, like A, being open and honest with the, with your research community. So with your friends who are doing their PhD, you know, if you're calling into faculty catch ups or things like that, just be like, Hey, like I'm, I'm struggling a fair bit at the moment. I bet other people are too. Yeah. Cause yeah, even just talking about it sometimes is, yeah. is it's like a release, right? Like, yeah. and, and to know that, yeah. And to know that other people are struggling. Yeah. Um, so that you're not quite so isolated and and caught up in those feelings of worry or, like, inadequacy or anything like that. And I think that that's something that uh, is really important, talking. Talk Mm -hmm. about it. Don't try to figure it out all on your own. Yes. Talk to friends, talk to your cohorts, other PhD students, talk to your supervisors, talk to your family. And I was just thinking that, I think right now everyone should consider, especially if you have, if you already have access to it, consider just going for some counseling. Mm. Because chances are you might not even recognize it, but you need it. Yeah, so big time. Definitely um, take advantage of that if, especially if it's accessible to you. Yeah, and I think that there's anxiety, depression, other like mental health things. There's, you know, there's still, quite a lot of stigma around it and you know i think that for that reason that maybe some people feel like shame or or don't want to access counseling because they don't want to you know maybe like necessarily admit to themselves or to other people that that they are struggling um and yeah i would just like really encourage people to break down that stigma i guess and talk about Mm -hmm. it openly and and if you are struggling there's absolutely nothing wrong with getting help it's not only going to be better for you but it's going to be better for the community and society in general for us to to break down the stigma around mental health issues so i remember the first time that i went to a psychologist i was just like afterwards i was like oh that was pretty chill (laughs) and also like (laughs) really helpful to to have somebody to talk through stuff so definitely if you can go see a counselor highly recommend it Mm, yeah totally yeah like i said earlier i didn't take advantage of it i wish that i did 
Mm. I wouldn't have been caught in a rut for as long as I was sometimes during my PhD if I'd just gone to talk to someone about what I was going through. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, chances are you're not the first person that's gone through this. And exactly. So... <laughs> you wouldn't be the last. Yeah. <laughs> so help someone else, right? <laughs> and that's why we're doing this. You know, we're talking about these things so that we can help other people, so that people know that, hey, other people are going through the same stuff that you're going through or through the same stuff that you might go through. Mm. So just learn from other people's experiences and take advantage of the fact that someone has gone ahead of you to pave the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Alada, for your time. Yeah. And that's it for today, folks. I hope that this has helped you. And feel free to share with someone else that you think this might help. And if you have any comments, please leave the comments, um, like, share. And yeah, send me an email. If you'd like to share your story, please send an email to phdpluspodcast at gmail.com. Look forward to hearing from you. See you again next time. Bye for now.